Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Ted Canaris as we conclude this series, Do the Work. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Londonderry is the second largest city in Northern Ireland, and it is a city that was deeply impacted by the long-term conflict in Northern Ireland, also referred to as the Troubles. If you're not familiar with the story, the Troubles was a violent conflict from about 1968 to 1998 in Northern Ireland between two groups of people. On one side, you had the Protestant Unionists who desired for the province to remain a part of the United Kingdom. And on the other side, you had the overwhelmingly Roman Catholic Nationalists who wanted Northern Ireland to become a part of the Republic of Ireland. And for 30 years, these two sides fought it out in the streets of Northern Ireland. Bloody Sunday from, you know, the U2 song was perhaps the Troubles' most infamous hour as 27 peaceful nationalist protesters were shot in the streets of Londonderry by the British Army, leaving 13 people dead. Londonderry was a city divided. And what made this city so unique in this conflict was not just its size, but also its geography. Londonderry is literally cut in half by a river, with the Catholic Nationalists living on one side and the Protestant Unionists living on the other. And throughout the Troubles, that that river was really like the dividing line. It became more than just a river of rushing water. It was a, a physical reminder of the steady flow of hate and resentment and bitterness and judgment and unforgiveness that, that cut a city and a nation in half. It represented a conflict and a divide that seemed as steady and unchangeable as the river itself. And the thought of initiating peace, well, that seemed totally overwhelming, or even an impossible task. Well, thankfully, most of us have never lived through violent conflict like this. However, I know many of us have lived or are currently living with deep relational divides in our lives. We may have a similar river or a network of smaller rivers and streams of conflict and division in our lives. And as a result, I think we can resonate with how daunting the thought of crossing that divide can be. And yet, that's exactly what we've been challenging one another to do throughout this series. It's all part of the work of relational restoration. And that work of relational restoration is something that we can all relate to. It's really the basis of almost every great novel, every moving film, and even every classic sitcom. The work of relational restoration is everywhere, from today's headlines to our own backyards. Here's a reminder of where we've been so far in this series. Hey, Wilson. Happy Sunday. Hi-ho, neighbor. And a happy Sunday to you, too. It's my favorite time of day. And what's that? Church time. Ah, yes. Me, too. And how did you find last week's service? Oh, well, it hasn't been that long since I've been to church in person, Wilson. I mean, muscle memory kicked in, and I got us all there without even having to use my GPS. I mean, how did you find the message, the big idea? It's really not all that difficult, Wilson. Even if you miss church on Sunday, it's all available online on demand. But we made it to in-person church on time. So the whole family went together last week? Guess that means you were able to patch things up with Jill. 
for the most part, and thanks to this series. I mean, in week one, I learned that I got to first do the work of identity formation, grounding my identity in Jesus. And then in week two, we talked about doing the work of self-awareness, asking God to show us where we've been at fault in anything that might have happened in the relationship. And then last week, we talked about doing the hard work of forgiveness, choosing to cancel the debt that the other person owes. Sounds like you've learned a thing or two. No, three. And today's big idea is all about initiating the reconciliation process. So once again, I'm learning that it's up to me to do the work. I'm proud of you, Tim. What about you, Wilson? I mean, is there a relationship in your life that needs restoration? I've had someone in mind during the series. Is it me, Wilson? Is it me? I guess you'll find out after today's message. Either way, it's about time for both of us to do the work. You ready? I don't know. I'm still on the fence. <laughs> Get it? On the fence? No. Throughout this series, we're challenging you to think of that one relationship that you would like to see restored. Now, a quick and important note here. There are some relationships where restoration just isn't feasible or even healthy. And we're not saying to go back to an abusive or toxic relationship. We're not saying that every broken relationship needs to be restored. That's not what we're talking about here. However, for all of us, God is likely bringing just one relationship to mind, perhaps, that we know is worth fighting for, one relationship that he wants to restore. And we've encouraged you to keep that person in mind all throughout this series. Now, up to this point in our series, all the work that we've been challenging one another to do has been our own individual work, work of identity formation, the work of self-awareness, and the work of forgiveness. This is the work we do on our own with God. But we can reach the place where we have grounded our identity in Christ. We become aware of the ways that we're at fault. We've even given forgiveness to the other person. And yet, we're still maybe kind of sitting back with our arms crossed, waiting for the other person to come to us. But in order to restore a relationship, eventually, we must move toward the other person. We have to try to cross the river. And today, we want to talk about the hard truth that if we want to restore our relationships, we have to do the work of initiating. So, what do we need to know about initiating? First, initiating is not easy. At the risk of sounding like Captain Obvious, taking the first step can be really, really difficult. Anyone else have areas that you could use a bit of initiative in? Do you have any projects that are left undone around your house? Maybe you're like me and you're not very handy. I always seem to have at least one or two house projects that I'm frustrated by and avoiding. <laughs> or perhaps you have an unresolved issue an unresolved conflict with a friend or a family member that needs to be discussed, but it just never seems to be the right time. Well, whether it's in a high-stakes situation or a seemingly insignificant circumstance with something around the house, initiating is not easy because it depends on one person, me. I am responsible for taking the first step. 
I take the risk to step into the unknown and to seek reconciliation. I may even have to give up some of my free time to repaint a wall or, or fix yet another household victim to the collateral damage of raising three young boys in a tight space. Now, it seems appropriate to name here that when I say it's not easy, that doesn't equal not safe. Again, There are relationships that are characterized by abuse and fear where initiating restoration could be dangerous for you. And in those cases, and depending on the severity of the situation, taking initiative may even mean setting a firm boundary or or getting some real help or intervention. But in most of our relationships, if we want to see our relationships restored, we need to do the hard work of taking a willing heart and putting it into action. God knows that this can be difficult. And that's why we get passages like this in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Blessing people, living in harmony. Don't repay evil for evil. I mean, that is a beautiful and incredibly difficult way of life. But it doesn't even stop there. Romans 12 goes on to say this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. We are called to initiate movement towards peace and reconciliation. However, notice that there is not a promise of peace here. Unfortunately, the goal of initiating can't always be reconciliation. We can hope for reconciliation, but in order for there to be real reconciliation, that other person has to do the work too. We can't make someone else do that work. The goal of initiation is no regrets. The goal is to know that you did everything in your power to remove every obstacle to the relationship being restored. We need to ask ourselves questions like, have I really done my own work before turning towards the other person? Have I truly engaged in prayer and asked God to move and and work in this situation? As much as possible with me, have I done everything in my power to live at peace with this person? Initiating is not easy. But when we do choose to initiate, we're following the example of Jesus who chose to initiate a restored relationship with us. Which leads us to our second challenging truth. Initiating is not earned. It's really tempting to wait for the other person to earn the right to our engagement. I mean, after all, if they were holding up their end of the bargain, we wouldn't be here in the first place today, right? I mean, they decided to say those things. They failed to follow through on the agreement we made. Sure, our relationship is not in a good place, but, but this is their doing. I'm not the one who may have left a, a wet towel in the middle of the bedroom floor. And I think this really might be the hardest part of this work. If we're really going to follow the way of Jesus, even if it is 100% their fault. And let's be honest, it rarely is ever 100% their fault. We can't wait for the other person to deserve it before we initiate. 
because that is not the example that we see in Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus is the one who initiated the restoration of our relationship. Jesus came to us and we didn't earn it and we definitely did not deserve it. In Romans 5.8, Paul says it as clear as day. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still at fault and completely undeserving, Jesus initiated. Just imagine, just imagine if God had sort of just sat back with his arms crossed, waiting for us to come clean, to admit our own fault, to come to him and to earn it. Jesus would have never have come. If anybody could be justified in playing the, you know, you, you need to own your stuff before I'll move towards you card, it was Jesus. But thank goodness he, he didn't do that. Instead, while we were still sinners, before we showed any movement towards repentance or ownership or even recognition of our wrongs, Jesus initiated a restored relationship with us. And his initiation was rooted in his great love for us, not because we earned it and not because we deserved it. The love of God displayed through Jesus is beyond our comprehension. It's bigger and taller and deeper and wider than we could ever possibly imagine. And when we remember this extraordinary love that we have received in Jesus, you know what that does? It allows us to, to open our hearts, to open our minds to a new way of seeing and a new way of approaching other people. God's love for us compels us to love others with that same love that we have received in him. In Romans 12, 10, Paul goes on to describe what this looks like. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Moving towards another person in this way is rooted in love for the other person. And it means that we're to honor the other person above ourselves. Choosing to replace curses with blessings. But this kind of heart posture we're describing here, it doesn't just happen by accident. And you certainly may not even feel like it, yet it doesn't change the call for us to love people like Jesus loved us. I have to be honest with you here today. I, I typically don't shy away from conflict, but there have been several times in my life where I've failed at being the initiator. It's so easy just to convince myself or to convince ourselves that if we just ignore it long enough, it will just sort of go away, right? And yet I don't, we don't have to let our past patterns of behavior dictate how we live from here on. Today, today we could decide to do things differently. And I believe that one of the greatest reasons God wants us to be initiators when it comes to reconciliation is that he wants to transform our hearts. He wants to transform our minds to see other people the way he sees them. He wants us to begin from a place of, of seeing their infinite value and their infinite worth. He wants us to see that they too are worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. 
And when our hearts are softened by how God feels about them, it becomes easier for us to move towards them. Initiating is not easy. Initiating is not earned. And lastly, initiating is for everyone. This is for everyone. It's something that everyone can do. No one is exempt. Initiating is for everyone because the truth is that we have all sat in both of these chairs at different times in our life. There are times when when we've been the one who has been wronged. And there have been times where we have been the one who has done wrong. And in some relationships, when conflict is prolonged or complicated, we end up in both chairs, sort of moving back and forth between doing wrong and being wronged. And unfortunately, it's easy to get stuck in a cycle that is making that river of division just just deeper and deeper and wider and wider. But as followers of Jesus, the call to initiate is the same no matter which chair you might find yourself sitting in. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus clearly articulates his call for us to be peace initiators. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you're there that you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Once we have done the work of identity formation, self-awareness, and forgiveness, initiating is our next step, and initiating is for everyone. Now, the work that needs to be done may be a little different depending on where you are sitting, but there are some guiding principles for initiating peace that I think can help us whether we are the one who has been wronged or we are the one who is in the wrong. When our heart is in the right spot, and when we feel like it's safe and wise to initiate peace, we can then initiate. So here are a few guiding principles for initiating. First, we need to be patient. We have to give the other person the gift of not being ambushed. There are few things worse and less effective than a surprise reconciliation. And I think it's best to maybe even send a note of some kind saying something like, if you're up for it, I would love to talk with you about what happened between us. Is that something that you're ready for? And keep in mind, it's okay if they're not ready. Remember, you can't make reconciliation happen. This is about doing your part and removing any regret. So first, be patient. Second, we need to be differentiated. This means staying away from blaming and limiting yourself to as many I statements as possible. For example, you can say something like, I felt deeply hurt when you said that thing about me. Instead of saying something like, you, you made me feel terrible when you said that thing about me. Being self-differentiated means that that you are in a place where you are able to take responsibility for yourself. It means you can distinguish between your own goals and values and thoughts and feelings. And it means that, that you can confidently and humbly communicate that without getting threatened or without getting defensive. 
Self-differentiation is really only possible when we've done all of that internal work in advance of initiating. Then, then we can have a productive and self-differentiated conversation. Third, we need to be connected. This is all about making sure that you can maintain some level of empathy for the other person. I know it sounds simple, but if you have been in these chairs, you know how hard it can be. Unfortunately, it's possible to be patient and to be self-differentiated, but still be a jerk. And that's really what narcissism looks like. Fighting to maintain an emotional connection to the other person is a commitment to care for the other person without being defined by them. Being emotionally connected while initiating means staying in touch with yourself and the other person. You need to have the freedom and the safety to share your perspective while also giving the other person the freedom to express their own perspective. And finally, we need to be specific. We need to be specific about what happened and how you feel then you can explicitly ask for and grant forgiveness out loud, saying things like, I am sorry for blank, and would you please forgive me? But again, be careful not to put them on the spot. It likely likely took you some time to get to this point to ask for forgiveness, and they will likely need some time to grant it as well, and that's okay. Or if you're the one who has been wronged, it might mean granting forgiveness by explicitly saying, I forgive you for blank. And let me tell you, if you've never been in a moment like this, there can be an incredible freedom and power in saying those words out loud. So as you follow Jesus by being an initiator, you must also follow his way of love. Be patient, be differentiated, be connected, and be specific as you initiate peace with one another. Remember the city of Londonderry from earlier? the city divided by a literal and metaphorical river of broken trust and broken relationships. Londonderry was broken in two, two groups of people at odds with one another, literally stranded on the shores of opposition with a river of hostility and unforgiveness flowing between them. Both sides seemed stuck, either unable or unwilling to initiate. But then something incredible happened about 10 years ago in Londonderry. They built a bridge. On June 25th, 2011, the Peace Bridge was opened. Now that river of division is no longer the most powerful symbol in Londonderry. This spectacular bridge of peace is the redefining landmark of Londonderry. It's a beautiful metaphor of how even the deepest and the widest divides can be bridged by peace if we're willing to follow Jesus as an initiator. And may we never forget that there's another, greater, more beautiful bridge of peace. It is a bridge with with much more simple structure and yet even more beautiful than the peace bridge in Londonderry. It's a bridge that offers peace for all people, all places, and for all time. Of course, I'm talking about the cross 
of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is the bridge that makes a way for us to have peace with God and with one another in our world. It's the cross that is the only thing that can truly bridge our rivers of brokenness, replacing our deep scars and broken hearts with restored relationships that shine like beautiful monuments for all the world to see. And when we walk across this bridge with Jesus, we can become initiators of peace initiators of peace with others, inviting them to meet us at the bridge, at the foot of the cross of peace. This is our great hope. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you'd like to take a next step, head to communitychristian.info. If you'd like prayer, please text the word prayer to 331-226-1686 and a member of our prayer team will reach out to you. To give financially to community, head to givenow.cc. Thanks for listening to the Community Online Podcast.